Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Great game coming up this weekend. Uh, among the bangers in the top 25, Washington and Oregon and Pac-12, uh, a, a good chance that somebody digs themselves in a pretty good spot for later on down the road with the championship game. But there are a lot bigger fish to fry. James Crepia from the Oregonian, good friend of ours, joins us on 365 Sports. James, I saw a stat where this is the first time in like 19 years that two teams 5-0 and in the Pac-12 are meeting at this particular time. How much hype are you feeling in Eugene or how much is there in Seattle? Well, there's a pretty healthy amount, as you might imagine, yes, because and look, this this rivalry is probably the best on the West Coast, uh, top to bottom, quite honestly. And 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 we'll continue in that regard when it moves to the Big Ten, and uh, for that matter, when Oregon and SC play and, and Washington and SC play this season, uh, that won't continue on an annual basis in the Big Ten, but it will continue in the Big Ten. Um, but this is probably the biggest one on the West Coast, and it's been really significant for the, particularly the last thirty thirty five years or so, and. And for the last five meetings, it's spanned six seasons because in 2020 they didn't end up playing in what would have been a division title game at the time. It's it's had consequences. It's had significance. And it's gotten ratcheted up uh, the, this last five years in particular where this game has had significant meaning to what was division races now is just uh, races for you know a spot in the conference title game and with a conference that's obviously going away. Uh, and also national consequences that even though that, yes, this is the first time, you know, with five and oh, a piece uh, in that regard and both in the top 10. So it takes it to the biggest in the rivalries history. The national consequences were significant even in recent years, even if not for undefeated, because in that sense, it was, well, if a Oregon after losing the opener, in 2019 to Auburn, or if a Washington losing the season opener to also Auburn in 2018, if either of them in their respective seasons were going to stay alive in any kind of playoff race, let alone conference championship races, division races, you had to win, you know, that year uh, in this game. And in 18, lo and behold, uh, Oregon still ended up winning the regular season matchup in an overtime. And that was a great game. But Washington won the division and played for the conference title the following year. Oregon went up to Seattle, won, won the division, played for the conference championship, and upset Utah. So it's been a game that has picked up, and this and all the build, 
all the billing and all the hype uh, this week is deserved. You know, these two programs have put themselves in this position and it didn't happen overnight. And it's a credit to obviously these two coaching staffs who are each in their second seasons with two of the best quarterbacks in the country also in their second seasons with these programs, but fifth seasons in college football. James, where does the rubber meet the road on this game where like it is hard for me having I've watched enough of both teams to 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 have you know tried to break down you know where the weaknesses could be but these I, I can't really find where it's going to be it seems like two teams that are just loaded for bear that are going to be ready to, to to take swing haymakers at each other well certainly it would, you'd be hard pressed to come up with a weakness on either offense uh, I mean they're both so prolific uh, in any number of areas uh, and whatever even somewhat weakness uh, Washington may have in its run game offensively it's so so abundant in its passing game uh, and probably has top to bottom the best receiving core in the Pac-12 and certainly one of the best in the country uh, and again look at the production and it's, it's hard to argue uh, they're, they're doing it and Oregon's receiving core really loaded as well uh, probably a little bit more of an edge in the run game but you're really kind of nitpicking at that point on offense neither offensive line is allowed very much by way of anything in terms of pressure negative plays sacks pass rush anything in that regard that's why they're five and zero. that's why they've blown out a lot of their opponents so far defensively on paper if you just look at the numbers yeah oregon has the better defense but if you delve into it a little further uh giving credit where it is due and contextualizing, again, caliber of competition that neither of them have played anything like <clears throat> what they're about to face this weekend against each other. Uh, but Oregon has certainly padded its stats against some inferior competition. Washington, when its best players are on the field, if you go inside the numbers, when the games have been competitive, usually pretty early, <laughs> to be quite honest, but when it's been competitive, the defense's stats, is you know, they're, they're a lot better. You know, so a lot of their defensive numbers that don't look so appealing on paper when you just look in total, you have to contextualize that and say, yeah, but how much of that came in blowout games where the second or third team was in there? And the answer is a lot. So against each other, against the higher heightened competition and what will probably be a competitive game wire to wire, I'm certainly expecting it to be that way with two great quarterbacks and offenses in particular. Uh, the defenses, I think, is where you don't just point to where a weakness could be, but to where really the deciding factor is going to be because how, how can you really say, well, one quarterback simply plays better than the other? Well, in order to do that, it's, it's probably going to be a little bit on the opposing defense and who comes up with a stop uh, or multiple stops or the takeaway or the big third down play or whatever it is, probably in the second half, either in a massive moment at home for Washington uh, or in one of the most hostile environments uh, Oregon could come up with, uh, certainly on the road in Seattle. James, how much do you think that Oregon looks at that Arizona tape and, and kind of sees how they were sitting back and you know saw how Washington really had to work for yards? I mean, they still piled up numbers, but it was obviously a closer game. Is there anything to that, or is that just you know one week that worked and it probably won't work the next time around? Yeah, you know, I, and it's one of those that like it's hard to to necessarily on two fronts. It's hard to know uh, because. I, I don't want to confuse what Arizona does uh, defensively with what Oregon does defensively. Sure. Um, they're, they're really not very similar, to be quite honest with you, um, in terms of, of, of scheme and strategy and, and really top-to-bottom personnel. Uh, that said, yeah, you try to pick up on and see, like, 
with with what little success opposing defenses have had against Washington so far, how do they go about doing it? I don't think Oregon's defense is built to just sit back the way that Arizona did as much as it did, did do it exclusively. But I don't think they're really built and engineered that way. I don't think their strategy uh, so far has, has been that way by any stretch. Um, I think they're just playing more talented that allows them to, to do a few more things, either by rushing three, but really mainly rushing four. Uh, and yes, that they've dialed up a few more blitzes this season than they did a year ago. Uh, not wildly so, not haphazardly, but they've been able to generate more pressure more consistently. Again, yes, against some inferior competition. I, I don't look past that at all. Uh, because look, an FCS opponent, Hawaii, Stanford, and Colorado, I mean, if you look at how many negative plays those teams have allowed, it's not good. <laughs> so Oregon was one of many teams to, to do those things against those teams. So don't want to get too far off the handle in terms of, well, their defense is putting up all these kind of disruptive plays, so therefore they'll just be able to do it. I don't know about that. You know, we have to see against a far better offensive line. But to your question, to your point, uh, will they try to mimic some of the things Arizona may have done? I- I'm interested to see that myself. more Less so in, in just merely dropping eight or, or even dropping seven at times. More so in some of the strategy of personnel. And like I say, it's hard to necessarily gauge that because, one, you just haven't seen an offense like this yet. And two, because, what, you, if you ask <laughs> – if you ask a coach in the middle of the week, hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> in this massive game, you want to you uh, let us know about some strategy that right, you haven't shown yeah. on tape yet? Uh, yeah. um, but I am interested to see because they're both coming off bye weeks uh, and they've both been in blowouts a lot. So how much have they been holding back uh, for a game like this? Some things defensively on both sides that maybe you see a little bit more exotic by way of personnel. Maybe you see not just dime packages, six DBs, but is there a seventh or even eighth defensive back on the field in certain situations against two really prolific quarterbacks and passing offenses? I haven't seen that this season from Oregon. Haven't needed to see that from Oregon. You saw that in select spots from Arizona. That's the one part that I'd be I'm most interested to see from Oregon's defense uh, in terms of personnel on Saturday. James, the, uh, the the Dan Lanning, obviously, and, and what he's done there. Uh, last year, they had that they got boat raced early by Georgia. Though they lost to Oregon State, no one ever wants to do that. Lost to Washington in a shootout uh, at home. But how much street cred, if he needed that at all, did he get by the way he approached the week of Colorado and said he doesn't apologize for anything and just went straight into it and how he handled that week. Nationally, uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some because to, 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 to this point in the season, uh, that was the largest television audience for a college football game this season. Uh, so I'm sure nationally, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how much that week did anything to change anything on the ground here in Eugene, in the building among the fan base or anything of the like, because there was nothing that was really, I mean, go back to the summer and the whole, like, well, what have they done to affect this conference? We're referring to when Colorado had left and it was before Oregon and Washington left to go to the Big Ten, right in between. That wasn't a shot at Deion Sanders. You know, everything from that game week became like, 
unbelievable attempts to find slights in any which way, which was kind of ridiculous. Um, it just wasn't. Now, yeah, the in the you know pregame speech and you know they're, they're rooted in substance and you know they're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. That speech, that 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 bit, that gets on national TV, no doubt. From a national, you know, when you have ten million people watching, does that earn you some something by way of reputation and get bounced around from television to social media and all the rest? Sure, no doubt about it. But like I say, on the local level, though. I think this fan base was already very much well behind Lanning and his staff yep. to where I'm not sure that bottom line guys, if we go back throughout the entirety of the off season, put Colorado's remarkable three and O start aside. And I take nothing away from it. He's done a tremendous job. What Dion and his staff and the players there have done so far outstanding, but Oregon was expected to boat race Colorado all off season. That was a team that came in at 3-0 and who had completely overperformed in getting there, and, and credit to them. But that was a meeting of 3-0 and teams where one team was supposed to be 3-0 and and the other team was supposed to be 1-2, and and the outcome was as if Colorado was 1-2. and It was what it was. I, I didn't make more of it myself, and I, honestly, I don't think among the local fans uh, and the local audience that that was viewed as, some unbelievable accomplishment. Um, I, I think it was kept in a proper degree of context. And you saw after the game, Lanning's tone was far more like, hey, this is just one game. Let's not make this out to be more than what it was. Um, he, you know, he took kind of a very different approach and tone afterward. And I think one that, that spoke to what I'm getting at here is like 10 million people watched. They got to observe something. But I, I don't think it really swayed and moved the needle that much on the local level because it was already pretty extreme uh, in that regard. James, do you have any insight or just thoughts on the Oregon state, Washington state lawsuit with the the PAC 12 and, and where I know their mediation has been agreed to or, or whatever, but where, where that kind of ends. I am as curious as the next uh, in terms of where, where it ends to that point. And part of the complexity of all of this isn't just the money. Let's not, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The money's the, money's the driving factor. Um, if there weren't so much at stake and if there weren't existential crises uh, facing Oregon State and Washington State, you know, it, it would not be uh, as, as severe, but it is. But part of the complexity of all of this is the money combined with real and true ambiguity uh, in terms of what does happen under this scenario in any number of things, in any number of factors. Um, a lot of this stuff, you know, blame whoever you want to blame. For those who are in the blame business, have at it. But the bottom line is, is a lot of this stuff is not written down in bylaws and spelled out in this level of specificity for this scenario. The bylaws talk about dissolving the league in the event of dissolution, what happens? Well, right now, to the moment, that hasn't happened. So what happens when 10 out of 12 entities leave and two, for the moment, have not dissolved the league? 
what happens to the revenues, what happens to not for nothing, the thing that we're all forgetting about the liabilities, (laughs) Um, you know, what what happens to any number of things uh, in that regard in the short term, in the immediate. And that's why it's ending up in a courtroom. So to your question, do I have any insight as to exactly where it's going to go? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. Um, and because and if I were, uh, <laughs> I, I don't envy the lawyers who are connected to any number of the schools. Uh, and I totally understand the perspective of all the parties involved. If you're Oregon State and Washington State, you're going to do everything in your legal power to protect yourselves uh, and your ability to get every last dollar you possibly can facing the, the level of financial crisis that they're going to be facing. And if you're the 10 departing schools, you're going to be doing everything in your power collectively to say, hey, wait a minute, we're still in a league today. We didn't forego our ability to control and have say in what happens in the league we're still in today. And the argument is, yeah, but some of the decisions you may make today may affect not only y'all's future, but the future of those who haven't chose to leave just yet. And that's why, like I say, that's why it's ended up in a courtroom. And I don't pretend to have the answers. And the thing is, is I'm not sure that any number of the legal uh, minds <laughs> who are part of the process um, have the definitive answer because it's always going to be shaped by whatever's best suiting them. And as I say, it's not laid out in the league's bylaws and contracts and any number of things. Some of these things are not spelled out in terms of what happens. All right, James Penix. Caleb, Nix, Cam Ward. It doesn't even include Cam Rising because he hasn't played. DJ Ugalele has played well. Separate them for me. Shadur. Shadur. My yeah. God. Sanders, Shador, Colorado. Uh, Jaden Rashada yeah. and Dante Moore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you separate? Can you imagine the first team? I, Williams, the defending or reigning Heisman winner, but try to put that together for some kind of postseason team or the who's going to get to New York City? Yeah, and I think ultimately, uh, certainly, whichever of whatever of the triad of uh, Caleb, uh, Penix, and Knicks, whichever of the three has the most success in the head-to-head matchups uh, will certainly make it to New York. I would be mystified if if one of them manages to go two and zero, and then uh, particularly win a conference championship, you know, potentially three and zero against the others. There's no way that that quarterback's not going. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be truly mystifying <laughs> for, for that to occur. Um, I think right now, if I, you know, entering this game, I, obviously this game will be one of several that has a huge, huge say in the whole matter. Um, I think that the winner of this one obviously puts themselves potentially in the outright driver's seat, if not certainly no less than uh, second to Caleb Williams, if not on completely equal footing or, or ahead of. Uh, for the time being, but I don't think barring barring the loser having just a downright awful day where they're you know intercepted multiple times and it's a, a blowout somehow, I, I don't think the loser of this game will be completely disqualified from the equation. So I think there's a chance right now that all three of these quarterbacks could end up uh, in New York, quite frankly. Um, and as I say, I think maybe if there's a true divide between the teams, uh, by the end of it, where the two who managed to make it through to the Pac-12 championship game and whoever of the three of them is not represented there uh, because of their individual performance. Again, if they were intercepted several times in, in the two most critical games, um, or three for that matter, 
then yeah, then I could see that quarterback being left out. But I think ultimately the quarterbacks of whichever two teams of the three, most likely uh, to end up in the Pac-12 championship game, will probably both end up in New York. And quite frankly, whoever ends up winning the Pac-12 championship game will probably end up being the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, in my opinion. I, I just think that the caliber of quarterback play in this league, uh, as we've mentioned all offseason long, this was expected. Maybe not 80% completions for Bo Nix. Maybe not similar, nearly 80% completion for uh, Michael Penix in terms of on second down. On first down, he's, I believe, around 75 and then leading the country in passing yards. Maybe not every stat line, but in terms of overall performance, this is hardly a shock that, that these three quarterbacks and others in this league are playing really, really well. I think all three could make it. I think the two who play for the conference title game will make it, and I think the one who wins the whole thing uh, will be the one who wins the league. James, as always, great stuff. Enjoy covering what will be one hell of a game, we think, and uh, we appreciate your time and hopefully – have you on again down the road if Oregon keeps on doing what they're doing and obviously with bigger games down the road too. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Hey, James Crepe of the Oregonian. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Wait.